Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. It's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now... Here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this Thursday, February 19th, 2015 edition of the Sheila Zelinsky Show. I'm your host, Sheila Zelinsky. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We have a big audience tuned in from WWCR and a big shout out to them. On this show, as you know, I discuss a lot of topics. I discuss the global cashless regime, the global governance structures. I talk about robotics, transhumanism, biometric identifications, and the list goes on and on from fallen angels to the Nephilim to, of course, this agenda that's unfolding before us. Now, individually, these topics are difficult to understand and they're very complex, But you have to realize there is an interconnectedness. They're all connected trends that are driven by Satan to restore his global empire. So as disciples of Christ, we do need to understand the culmination of all this and how it's playing out in these end times. Prophecy is on fire in the world right now. It's time the mainstream Christians woke up to the fact that All of these governments are controlled by an occultic cabal and connecting some dots for us tonight, here to do that for us, essentially give us a kingdom briefing playdown for biblical end times is Dr. Michael Late. He is the author of the incredible book, Shinar Directive, Preparing the Way for the Son of Perdition. What a title, and it's a pleasure to have him on. Dr. Michael Late, welcome to the program tonight, sir. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. I mean, we really are seeing kind of a culmination of, some people call it conspiratorial worldview, and you're saying that what's going on, it's way more sinister than just a bunch of globalists. It's more nefarious than the CIA being involved in some kind of war or some family doing it. But really, you talk about something much more sinister. You're talking about a cosmic level conspiracy that really dates back to ancient times and has really been playing out since Nimrod. Get into that for us, Dr. Lake. You know, a few of us realize really what goes on behind the scenes worldwide. And as I begin to look at everything that we, we see going on on a global scale as well as history, uh, I, I tried to set it down into a biblical matrix. And when you begin to really take apart what happened in Genesis 10 with Nimrod and what he planned to do, and that God interrupted his work, and that every esoteric society on the planet and every one of their families that have been involved are, have been secretly working behind the scenes to finish Nimrod's un- uncompleted work, all of a sudden history begins to make sense. And that's what I try to line out in my book, is to help the reader begin to connect the dots both historically as well as what they're seeing unfold before their very eyes on the news every evening. That's so true. You really literally do see prophecy unfolding before your very eyes. One of the interesting things is I can't personally keep up to the headlines. I know, you know, years ago it used to be a headline a month. You know, you might be, wow, here's a great end time headline. But now you can't keep up to the daily headlines, the headlines per minute. We cannot keep up to the 
inundation of headlines per almost second. It's just rapid fire end time news. So uh, you really nailed it when you said prophecy is literally unfolding before our eyes. Incredible. Now you mentioned Nimrod. It's interesting, of course, the world's first king, Nimrod, the ruler of Babylon. He was most known, well, I guess best known for his Tower of Babel. Now the tower really is a centerpiece in all this, isn't it? It is, and, and I was really surprised when I began doing my research. You know, I had always imagined when I was going through seminary that you know you had a you had basically primitive man out on a plane somewhere trying to use you know slime or martyr to put a few bricks together, and I didn't really understand the extent to what they were doing. In my research, the magnitude of, of Babel, uh, it was between 100 to 200 square miles. He had a uh, a 400-foot wall around it that was wide enough they could have chariot races on. He had 12 palaces across the city. And when you really begin to, to decipher what he was doing, I believe that he was trying to create a multi-dimensional uh, portal generator to storm heaven itself to attack God. And uh, as you begin to, when you begin setting it in the biblical text and bring an extra biblical text like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jasher, the Book of Jubilees, as well as research other men of God have, have done in the past, it really begins to unfold this, this conspiracy, not only to draw men away from God, but to attack God himself. And I, I think that's where we're, we're heading with everything that's going on in the world today. They know that Jesus is coming back. And so they're going to try to do everything within their power to finish Nimrod's work to circumvent what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. You mentioned, this is really interesting term that you're using, you mentioned this multiple universe. Now, quantum physics actually proved the Bible, but it really comes to looking at parallel universes, or as you said, multiple universes, essentially the veil that separates the spiritual from the physical, why does it always seem like the elite is looking to essentially sort of flip a switch and pierce that veil? I mean, I'm sure that's part of the occultic plan, but could this Nimrodian Tower of Babel could have really been a portal, perhaps, some type of a heavenly portal, a portal to ascend up into heaven, perhaps? Well, Babel itself means the gate of God. And so by the, by the very naming of the place, I think they, they kind of put their signature on what they wanted to do. And, the, you know, the occult have been for... For millennia, they have used magical workings to pierce the veil at least into the second heaven. And uh, we see Aleister Crowley do that. We see Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard doing that in the desert in America. Uh, you, you see uh, Dr. John Dee doing that within his writings. But I, I think that it, it is not as reliable as uh, what the elite would like, and I think that's why they're going to be using the CERN Collider and maybe other technologies they're developing in various different locations around the earth uh, to pull together into a machine that they can not only flip a switch and create the portal, but to, uh, you know, to which, which part of the multiverse you're going to go into, the second heaven, third heaven, shield, Tarsus, uh, as well as the position and even the, the size of the portal they'd like to be able to control. Well, it's interesting that there are certain strategic locations. Tom Horn talks a lot about this, Steve Quayle. There are really certain portals, certain gates in the world. And it's so interesting because as I'm thinking about the word gate, I can't help but think back to when Jesus was in Sarah Philippi saying, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. It just so happened that when you really study that out, he was at a particular place where it was very close to where would have been the watchers came down, those powerful angelic beings, um, 200 watchers that came down to the earth on Mount Hermon. I mean, and that springboards me into another question. When you see the tinkering, as we know, the watchers tinkered with the genetic makeup of all life on earth, that's plants, animals, and humans, just like we are seeing the melding of species in this sci-fi transhumanism movement. So really, are we kind of maybe saying here, Michael, that transhumanists are trying to create or replicate in the earth today what Nimrod started back then? I, I think it's even before that. I, I think what Nimrod was trying to do is, you know, not only was he doing his war against God, but I think he was trying to rebuild Atlantis. Because what the Watchers did, they did before the Flood. 
And I think that part of why they're having to do so much research today, to even including the graves, is that when God broke the canopy, and of course we had the flood with Noah, it also changed the physiology of man. He went from living a thousand years to 120. And I also believe that in those changes, God made it harder for the uh, for the angels to interbreed with mankind, or even the blending of the species. That's why with uh, UFOs we see that they're so interested in the reproductive uh, things with humanity is because they're trying to circumvent not you know with what God did at the flood, as well as trying to rebuild with what Nimrod was doing at the Tower of Babel. You talked about the flood, and I think about Noah's Ark. Could it be fair to say that something could have been stowed away in the Ark? I mean, you mentioned. Maybe Ham had some kind of esoteric knowledge? From from everything that I have been able to gather, it seems to me to be the only logical conclusion. Uh, we do know uh, with the writings of Pember that they actually had universities as a part of Atlantis. And so there's some of this knowledge either he carried with him, or there is also a reference, I think it's in the Book of Jubilees, that one of the sons of Noah uh, found watchers writing after they got over on the other side. But what, what's very interesting is, is from his line, all of a sudden explodes not only this esoteric knowledge, but you also see the symptomology of those who get into esoteric knowledge, like the haughtiness that he had when, uh, when uh, he committed his sin against uh, Noah, was instead of you know, concealing his nakedness, he went and broadcasted all throughout the camp. That's something that's, that's very haughty. Uh, and you, you begin seeing that, and then through that same line, it was his grandchildren, Cush and, and Mizraim. Cush worked with Nimrod to establish Babylon, and Mizraim established Egypt, which are two of the major esoteric lines within human history. So it, it kind of explodes, and I think their poster child or their, their prodigy, if you will, was Nimrod, because he was able to do something that I don't even think the Watchers were able to do. I, I think that their creating these chimeras was in vitro, and then they had to let the thing mature. Nimrod started out human, but yet when you read the Hebrew, the, the, the word halal there in Hebrew, he began to be, literally means that he corrupted himself, even to the point of death. And so he, he did something to transmogrify himself into a gibberim or a type of giant. And so he, he is the poster child for every esoteric society. He is the poster child for the alchemist. Uh, the, the, the whole thing of turning lead into gold is a metaphor of going into a human into something greater. So if I get this right, I mean, really then, Ham's grandchildren, as you alluded to, they built Babylon and the Egyptian Empire. So a family endeavor could really, down the line, use Nimrod to build something other really than what God wanted in the earth. And as he said, Nimrod started out as a man and he discovered a way to transmute into some type of God. And it's really interesting because Jewish literature really suggests that Ham might have found one of those books, whether it's a book of Jasher, it talks about them finding writings of the Watchers. So possibly this family line was moving to reestablish what the Watchers were doing originally in the Earth. I think you're exactly right. And that, that is the main theme. I mean, with Sir Francis Bacon, when they knew about North America, they talked about, you know, the, the recreating of Atlantis. Right. And, and, that is, and so that, that is a hope that they want to bring back what they were doing before the flood. And to them, that was the golden age of, of, of sorcery and witchcraft and control on planet Earth. And that's what all of them are trying to bring back and reestablish on this planet. Well, you said the golden age, and I think about really a, I guess we're seeing a reemergence of these ancient godmen. Well, we know the occult has been doing this stuff for thousands of years. You talked earlier about these nefarious occultic Luciferians. Madame Blavatsky in her ancient Tibetan writings was writing about these creatures. It just, when you really start connecting the dots, you really see an interesting picture emerge here. It really is a dark demonic force at play here, isn't there? It is. And one of the things, you know, I also bring out in the book, I, I think that they were, they knew uh, the prophecies that was in the book of Enoch that the Watchers would be bound for 70 generations. And so if you go from about 3500 B.C., it brings you up to about A.D. 1900. And so even before the Watchers were going to begin, I think they're slowly released, and the very last four aren't going to be released until the Book of Revelation. We see four of them that come up from under the Tigris and Euphrates River. 
that they, they, they knew that they couldn't get it done without the technology and the help of the watchers. So a century before the watchers were going to be released, they began releasing two new doctrines in the earth, uh, eugenics and evolution, which prepared the hearts and the souls of men for the very experiments we see in Genesis 6. And so as the watchers are beginning to be released, this doctrine, these doctrines not only pull man away from God, but they prepare them uh, for what the watchers are going to do. And there's even evidence that much of the uh, advanced technology that Nazi Germany started out with in World War II, they were actually channeling or trans-channeling from the watchers. And so it, it, when you begin looking at this, it, it puts all the pieces of history that you can see that they have been building for almost 5,000 years to bring us to the place we are today. Well, and I can't help but think of this interesting statement. Tom Horn was on with Steve Coyle a couple of weeks ago, and he was also talking about the fact, and I think this is really interesting to throw this in the mix, Dr. Lake, is the fact that the Pope has taken, well, the line of popes, really, but particularly this last pope has really taken an interest in aliens. In fact, he made a statement that shocked the Catholic world when he said, we would baptize aliens. And essentially, Tom purported the idea that could these so-called aliens, you know, you got to picture this, Dr. Lake, you know, the stage is set, here's the pope, he emerges with delegates from the UN and other nefarious globalists and presents this idea that, oh, and by the way, we've met the aliens, they're your friends, and this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, forget him, he's the bad guy. Satan is actually the good guy. He's the savior in all this. The dumbed and numbs, stupefied Christians in today's church really could swallow that, and that is a really horrifying thought to me. It is. I mean, we, we have been set up to, to accept panspermia. And, uh, I mean, even even the hardcore, hardcore evolutionists now are saying there's not enough time in the universe for man to have evolved. So there had to be someone come down and tinker with it and to, to, to cause that quantum leap forward. And they're, they're setting up perfectly for, their, for the unveiling of the Watchers. So one of the questions I always get when it comes to the Watchers or when it comes to the, the fallen angels and even the, when it comes to the giants after the flood is the question I get from listeners is how were there giants still on the earth after the flood? What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I think there's one or two feasible positions. One is that there was a second incursion after the flood, which is, is a possibility. There may have been some time for all the watchers to have been incarcerated. Uh, I, I think, you know, the further away you get from the flood, the smaller the giants get. And I think the harder that it is to do that. They may have also used some technology of blending of species again there. Uh, I know that uh, Rob Skiba talks about there's a possibility that the wives of the sons of, of Noah may have had Nephilim DNA. But as God begins to slowly begin to change the physiology of man, because, you know, when you change the atmosphere like we had with that cataclysmic event with the flood, it would have taken many generations for that adaptation uh, with the changing of the, of the atmosphere to take hold within the physiology of man. But the further we get away from it, the smaller and smaller. You know, the truth is Goliath that David took down was a midget compared to uh, the, the first round, or if you will, of the, uh, of the Nephilim, because they were over 400 foot tall. And so the further away that you get from that event, the smaller that they become. Well, and as ridiculous as the movie Noah was, it, it actually, Hollywood here doing a Noah movie is just a sci-fi to me, but it really suggests in that depiction, Helliweird as I call it, you know, that giants helped build the ark. I mean, that was really quite interesting. It, it seems to me that Hollywood has been uh, instrumental in, in tre- trying to rewrite the word of God in the minds of men, and, and it's gotten to the place where it's absolutely ridiculous now. It absolutely is ridiculous. Well, one of the interesting things that I think people have to sort of put these pieces together is when you look back, I mean, you you mentioned Atlantis. Now, the Aztec, the Incas, the Mayans, they all had in their possession knowledge that 
could not possibly have been attained on their own, such as these extremely highly complex cosmological models, forbidden knowledge, sorcery, pharmacology, metallurgy, meteorology, very complex advanced levels of technology. Now, Tim Alberino suggested something that was really interesting on one of my shows, and he said, could there have been technology at the time, fallen angel technology, essentially, could it have been employed for the giants to escape the Great Flood? There have, there may have been some of that, and there, as well as preserving their knowledge. Uh, in fact, that's kind of laying into the book that I'm writing now. That um, you know, when the Apostle Paul talks about doctrines of demons, he's, he's you know, Hebraically, doctrine is not about the creed you have on your wall; it's about how you live your philosophy of life and how you live your civilization. And so he was talking about the philosophy of the Nephilim. And so part of what their job was to do was to teach men the ways of the Watchers. And that, and when you, you go back and you read the Flynn brothers with, with their outstanding books, you begin to see that almost every, whether you're dealing with Aztecs, Greeks, Romans, uh, or even in Babylon, they talk about when the gods came down and taught them how to round up men, how to create civilization, how to create cities, all these different things. And I, I think that has been embedded, uh, especially within the secret societies all around the world, whether, it's, whether we're dealing with it in, in the Middle East or we're dealing with it in South America. And, and they brought with them outstanding knowledge that was far beyond their abilities to, to have uh, gotten on their own in the time periods they lived in. Well, I agree. And it's very clear that all these civilizations were really these bloody demonic systems of paganism also. And you, you find out that every one of their leaders, uh, even though they never actually achieved it, they, they tried to say that they had become like Nimrod. That, I mean, even Julius Caesar, you know, he had become a god, and all of a sudden all the Caesars enter into godhood. And you see the same thing within Rome. If there's the same reoccurring theme that somehow or another they think by employing all the knowledge that they have been given that they're, they're achieving what Nimrod claimed to have done. When it comes to Nimrod, I mean, you mentioned something earlier. He did something to corrupt his mind and spirit, perhaps even making him non-human. And it really seems to me that that is a theme playing out now is really... You know, it's funny because God created man in his image, but it's almost like now they're changing men into monsters. And uh, we talked about Nimrod becoming a Gibberim, you know, this mighty man, the offspring of the Nephilim, giving birth to Mystery Babylon. Could humans become something that is non-redeemable? I guess that's the horrifying question. Well, one of the things that, that I have looked at, and because I, I have pondered this for a while, I was reading through R.T. Kendall's Systematic Theology. And he made a statement that just kind of opened up this thought to me. He said that the image of God within man, even though it's marred because of the fall, that image speaks to us. It's called our conscience. And because we have a conscience and we're the only part of God's creation that is created in his image and we're the only redeemable part of his creation if it falls, is because that image is there and it speaks and because of that, we can, we can feel sorry for our sins, we can repent and, and have the blood of Jesus cleanse us. But if you begin tinkering with the DNA and you replace it with another image, you see, the, the, if the image of God speaks, then the image of the beast can speak, just like we see in the book of Revelation. I, I, I have wondered that when those that take the mark, if there's not a changing of their DNA to the place, that it has removed the image of God, and has replaced it with the image of the beast. And once you get into that situation, there's nothing there to prick your conscience. Your, your conscience has, the voice of your conscience has been forever silenced, and therefore you're unredeemable. Much the same way that we see throughout the Old Testament that, you know, when Israel went back into the land, there were certain people that um, when God said, if you see them, you kill them on sight, their children, their women, everything, but then there's also encoding within the Torah that if you go into this other village and this woman pleases you, you can marry her as long as she does these things and promise to walk with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why was God genocidal with one group of people, but yet he wasn't with another? It's because they weren't human. Interesting. Well, it's hard to believe. It's almost 
inconceivable, really, that God had not made some of the entities that exist really unsanctioned and illegitimate species, not made by God. And we springboard into this the fact that only men could have been redeemed by repenting, becoming an Ephilim meant unredeemable. You know, exactly. so th- this is really quite stunning, isn't it? It is, and, and I mean, and the, the, you're seeing this this esoteric, the, the the effects of esoteric knowledge on those in transhumanism because they're saying, listen, we're we're going to have to define what it means to be human, what it means to be post-human, and even what it means to become a god. Um, these guys, most of them are atheists, but almost all of science has its origin in Gnosticism, and so they're they're coming back to this whole Gnostic idea of men becoming gods. Which would really fit into Ray Kurzweil and his band of merry men in this absolute nightmarish. And, and this isn't a Mary Shelley or Gene Roddenberry film, folks. This is real life happening. I mean, that's that's pretty stunning when you have men now morphing into things that are not human. I mean, we're seeing, you know, every single kind of helly weird social indoctrination tells us, I mean, whether it's Transcendence with Johnny Depp or Elysium, you always have this theme playing, or Robocop, you always have this theme playing out where men are becoming human 2.0. That's really the goal, is to have men become something different. And it's always fascinating to me that Satan really does take an interest in our genetics, doesn't he? He does, and, and in fact, if you've ever been in the deliverance ministry, uh, bloodlines are extremely important. Once that the demonic entity can get a hold of a bloodline, it will follow it until it's eradicated out of that bloodline. So there's, there's something about the DNA that once that door is opened, that somehow another demonic entities can actually attach uh, to the maybe the specific resonance uh, of, of, a, of a DNA line. Well, as uh, a deliverance minister, I've dealt with probably thousands of situations where people absolutely do have those familiar spirits, generational spirits that come in through the family bloodline. And the Bible talks about going 10 generations back, which is really interesting. But oh, yeah, there's there's definitely something to the bloodline and how people are afflicted, whatever the gate may be. That's a really good point you bring up. And if you begin studying the elite, uh, they're they're very specific about bloodlines. In fact, the bloodlines are uh, based upon who they'll marry and and how that they will, uh, how families will align based upon not only specific bloodlines but the ability to move within those those spirits behind those bloodlines. Well, what's really interesting is uh, when you get into different kinds of books. There's you know the bloodlines of the Illuminati or whatever kind of interesting research you get into you always see that actually this is really interesting you might find this interesting that the Rothschild family alleges to date back to an antiquity and even to Nimrod isn't that interesting so these 13 bloodlines these royal bloodlines some people call them the Illuminati bloodlines they really do want to keep this within you know that's why when I always say the inbred royal family I get all these scathing emails and relegated to the depths of the down but really they are inbred aren't they they are there's there's 13 bloodlines and i mean we even had a, a king of england uh that wanted to marry a commoner and uh when he did he had to abdicate the throne in the, in the early 1900s i mean and, and basically the illuminati said you're going to do this yeah they take these things very seriously Oh, yes, they do. And they actually say that Prince William, I don't know how true this is, I haven't been able to find out if this is true, but because of the fact that he, he would be the most purest bloodline yet, they, they allege. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. No, I've not. You're springboarding back into the discussion. So when we look at the occult, say, turning on and off a switch, maybe even our genetic code, what could that look like? You know, we're we're entering into a time. You know, where we're, we're they're postulating, you know, creating human 2.0. And, and my problem is, uh, we we've not got the ethics thing down with human 1.0 yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and our technologies and everything are are outpacing our ethics. In fact, our ethics are taking a nosedive uh, worldwide. We, um, you know, we we can talk about the evils of abortion, but I mean now these ethicists are talking about 
post-birth abortions up to two years. That, that's going back to Babylon and, and, and the altars of Molech. I don't know so, if you saw this discussion just in the last uh, couple of weeks, but there's some headlines, and if people go to weekendvigilante.com, they can see under end time headlines, probably about seven of my articles are around this discussion that we're having. And in fact, a group of British scientists want to sit at the table and talk about, it's time for a discussion now, Dr. Lake, on designer babies. I mean, you can just see this playing out in all the headlines, the fact that they want to start tampering with our genetics. And I mean, that that's step number one. And step number two is being able to figure out a way to do it after the child is born. And can you imagine the pressure of your children saying, Mom and Dad, why why do I have to go to school? Johnny's only seven and he already has his PhD. <laughs> because they downloaded the information and he never gets sick and he's gonna live to be four hundred years old and he, he has a perfect physical body and he doesn't even have to work out. You know, can you imagine the pressure that's gonna be on you to try to enter into that type of social norm? When I think about what you just said, also, can you see the people trying to get in colleges or just trying to be a human 1.0 when you're competing with these super enhanced human beings? I mean, not just the knowledge, but can you imagine even fitting into that at all, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally? Because come on, you know, we're just too fat, too dumb, too slow, just a bunch of beer guzzling, useless eaters here, right? That and, and we haven't evolved enough to understand the new ethics that they'll bring out, which will be, of course, based on dark knowledge. And, uh, you know, look, if this thing evolves the way that it looks like it could be, the smartest of us will be Neanderthals compared to these guys. As you were talking, it reminds me of the last three budgets. I looked at DARPA documents. I mean, they have tens of almost, well, probably hundreds of millions in super soldier budgets. You look at the Jason's advisory panels. They've published paper after paper on human enhancement. People can look that up. Elites of the nations are are funding all these nightmarish human enhancement programs and projects. And when you really get into the nitty gritty of this stuff, it is absolutely stunning when you look at how this is closely linked with genome and phenotypes and the genome. It's just really interesting, isn't it? It is, and we're not the only country doing it. That's one of the things that I, I reveal in my book is, you know, behind the scenes that the occult Luciferian cabal is basically running all the nations, and they will compete us against one another. So we can, you know, you've, you've talked about what America's doing, but what's Russia doing? What's China doing? What's North Korea doing? What are these other nations? What are they doing behind the scenes? And, and to be truthful, you know, we may get a part of it here. Russia may develop another part of it. China may develop another part of it. But the only one who's going to have all the pieces of the puzzle is, is the Luciferian Council in the background because they're controlling everything anyway. And, you know, it, with, you know the time that I was in the military, I, got, I, I learned about, you know, you compartmentalize things so that one group doesn't even know what the other's doing, but each one has a piece of the puzzle. And that very well might be happening today behind the scenes. Well, I'm certain that all the world's technology is clandestinely managed by these blue bloods, these royal bloodlines. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely, and I, I've always pondered if the, the whole term blue blood may have not referred to Nephilim blood rather than human blood, rather than it just being royal. Hmm, that's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. My fear is, as we rocket sled really into these end times, isn't it convenient, Dr. Lake, that the church is in a stupor? You know, they're too busy naming it and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it. They're just really in this as I call it, cotton candy coma, well, Rome burns around us here. And when you realize that the, the um, like the skull and crossbones and many other esoteric groups begin to uh, invade seminaries back in the early 1900s, you know, all, all of where we're at is not by accident. Well, they, they, they no. have been working for a long time, but, you know, God's working too, and I do think that we're having a remnant begin waking up, and we're tired of cotton candy, we want the meat of the word. And, you know, one of the things that I try to bring out in my book, too, is that it doesn't matter whatever transugenic horde that they bring forth still has to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. As long as it's in this dimensional reality, it has to bow its knee. 
We're looking at this whole sort of re-emergence of Mystery Babylon. We're looking at Apollo's second coming, if you will. You know, when you really start putting the pieces together and you look at the situation in the church, if we're going to start seeing creatures emerging, you think that churches don't embrace demons now. I mean, what is that going to look like boots on the ground when literally all hell starts breaking loose? I think we're going to see the greatest falling away that we've ever seen. And and one of the things, too, that I personally think between you and I is I think the falling away has already happened to a certain extent. We just thought they were going to leave church. They just took the church with them. We wake up one morning and we're outside of what's called the church and we're the remnant. We're saying, where'd everybody go? Well, they, they all fell away. Take us into where this gets really interesting. I mean, we talked a lot about sort of the precursor to this, you know, the ultimate despot named Nimrod. We talked about part of the human hybrid and the original son of perdition. But what is kind of going to play out here in Revelation 13 when the man of perdition comes on the scene? Walk people sort of through how that could play out. I think he's going to be the man with all the answers. He'll probably have a a connection with the watchers when they come back. And he'll begin, I think he'll end up being the poster child just like Nimrod was, saying, listen, this is what you can achieve if you listen to them. As we approach this time when the watchers are going to be unveiled, I think there's going to be a blending of science and the supernatural, just like it was in the beginning. You know, when you you look at some of the, the first scientists like John Dee, I mean, he, he was conjuring up spirits to get his technology. So we're, we're going to see a, a blending of all these things come together. And, you know, how it's going to fold out, whether it's going to be, you know, here in America, whether it's going to be in the Middle East. You know, I postulate that we need to not only consider Rome, but we also need to look at the rise of Islam because Islam is another esoteric strain religion in the earth. They're, they're kind of competing right now, but I think they have always been working together in the background. And eventually they're going to merge. I really think that's a very astute observation. And really, when we think about all this playing out, we all know that God intervened at the Tower of Babel and dispersed Nimrod's original coup, but it's really coming back around here in this sort of final end times cosmic conflict, if you will, with Satan and God knows what kind of technology in in the final conflict, really. I think if God could open our eyes, because, you know, what they're wanting to do with, with this whole transhumanist thing is they're creating Nimrod's final army. I think we're going to see the watchers revealed. You see in the book of Revelation all these creatures coming up out of the abyss or a transugenic horde that may have been imprisoned before the flood. If God could open our eyes to where we could see what actually happens in the Valley of Armageddon, I don't think Steven Spielberg or George Lucas, either one, have enough imagination to create that scene. No, I don't think so. Well, especially when you start throwing in the mix alchemy, magic, sorcery, conjuring, soothsaying. I mean, this all sounds like some kind of a sci-fi witch film, but I mean, this is really prophesied for present day that there would be a reemergence of this corrupt priesthoods and this ancient mystery Babylon with all these Luciferians thrown in the mix. I mean, it really kind of is a recipe for disaster, though, isn't it? It is with all the technology that we have today and what they still haven't revealed that they're going to give to us. I mean, we, we could see anything from uh, minotaurs to UFOs being a part of um, the Antichrist final army to stand against Jesus. And I think they're going to choose the Valley of Armageddon to open up their final dimensional portal to try to finish what Nimrod began at the Tower of Babel. In your writing, I mean, how long did it take you to compile the information, I mean, incredible information in this book? I own a copy, but how long did it take you to tackle the information? I mean, because I know myself as writing a book, it's incredible those moments you just sit there sort of jaw dropped and you realize what, what you're compiling, some of the information. Was there a moment that really just just stunned at what you were writing? To me, it was almost it was almost like a, a just a supernatural experience. I've been studying this stuff for 15 years, but it's like you know the spirit of God said write, and the moment that I said, "Okay, Lord, I'll write a book," uh, it, it was it was like the clarity and all the dot the connections and all the dots were there. I was having the Holy Spirit remind me of maybe a video that I had watched or a book that I had read 15 years before. Right. <laughs> 
and I, I'm so I'm having to hunt to verify what I remember, and uh, it, it it was it was phenomenal. But once I put it all together and and finished the book, that's when your jaw kind of drops because you, you you know you get so into okay, I'm gonna get this chapter, this, and then you you just begin working on the next. But it's it's not until you can stand back and see the entire thing that you realize it was just the hand of God on your life that put it together. It really is almost a supernatural type of thing. I I think when you're meant to do something, you just do it by the grace of God. You know, one of the things I always found fascinating, and I think this is where people, Dr. Lake, have a hard time wrapping their head around this kind of thing, is when when a person really talks about portals and these multi-dimensions, that kind of is stuff right out of a science fiction, isn't it? But really, there's a lot of portals that are mentioned. I mean, obviously, Ellie Merzulli talks a lot about this. Steve Quayle has talked extensively about gates, portals, multidimensional openings. These are things that are around the earth. But look at Jacob's Ladder almost alludes to something similar, doesn't it? It does. And I think we, you know, we, we see people teleporting uh, in the Word of God. Uh, there, there, there are clues to us having a multiverse in the Word of God. We live in the first heaven. The second heaven is where the principalities and powers rule. The third heaven is the throne of God. Underneath it, we have we have subdimensional realities of of Shield and Tarsus, where the where the watchers are kept. Uh, there's we can even have the element of outer darkness. What exactly is that? Is that another realm besides hell? And these are all encoded into the Word of God. And when we understand basic quantum physics, they all can take up the same space that all you have to do is pierce the veil. And so uh, I remember years ago I heard a preacher saying, you know, uh, heaven is a planet some, you know, 100 million light years away. No, it's not. Heaven is right here. The third heaven is right here. We're taking up the same space. All you have to do is pierce the veil. So for the believer, we can pierce the veil when we begin to pray. Our prayers instantly reach heaven, which doesn't have to go any further than the end of your nose. Absolutely. Well, I was thinking of Brian Greene and quantum physics and Einstein's conundrums. And you talked about something really interesting. Now, you were talking about harmonic resonance. And we know that the harmonic resonance of the Earth is 7.83. Now, you theorize that Satan's resonance could be 6.66. Get into that for people. When I watched Brian Greene, I thought, okay, I I, want to really discover what this is because you know at the, at the quantum level all creation is still resonating well the the collective resonance of the earth is 7.83 which are all biblical numbers and but when i began to do my research i found out that our if, if we would do that as a hertz like because you know, it's the resonance of the earth is 7.83 hertz you know the human mind can pick up that if, if you could broadcast at 7.83 hertz the human mind will pick that up directly because God's wired us all the way. And, uh, Harvard has found that there's basically a, an antenna array built around our DNA. You know, we, we, have been, we have been created from our DNA on up to hear the voice of God. But Lucifer can't quite mimic God's voice. And so if you brought down to the next level, Hertz, it's about 6.66, and we get that understanding from the book of Revelation. But what I was really amazed at discovering is that that hurts can also be received by the human brain. And so, you know, the, the biggest, I think the biggest fight right now on planet Earth is which resonance are you going to listen to? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Because it's literally being broadcast. Satan found out that if he could raise himself up and broadcast another resonance in heaven, he got one-third of the angels to fall. He lifted himself up in a tree above the earth, and he got man to fall. Well, we don't want to be tuned into Lucifer's frequency, but we know a lot of people are, aren't they? They are, and it, it's interesting in the book of Revelation, not only is there the mark of the beast, but there's also those that have the mark of God on their foreheads, and I think that's talking about a mindset that you have so developed your spiritual walk with God that you'll only hear Him and you'll tune out everything else. Well, I think there's something to that, because when you really put the 66 books of the Bible, even the the other writings, the non-traditional writings, I mean, it's really starting to paint a picture that we really are given the mind of Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, I think there's a lot of things that are hard for us who, what, we use 10% of our brains, so it's kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around the things of God. But God says that in the Bible, my ways are not your ways. My knowledge is not your knowledge. So we're kind of an arrogant bunch, aren't we, to think we can just 
guess how God put the cosmos together. I mean, it, it's pretty arrogant notion that we're going to tell God what to do. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's why the Bible tells us to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Unless you approach that Bible with meekness, you're never going to get it. Well, amen. Dr. Lake, in the waning moments, what do you think the most important thing? There's a lot of Christian listening. My base of listeners is typically Christian, but I mean, for somebody out there that just is sort of sitting there jaw dropped, and what are the, the fundamental pieces coming away from this book that people really should take? And, and what would you say the most important things are in the waning moments of the show? Um, I think we need to realize that we are a controlled population that they have they have taken away true education from us we're going to have to rediscover it uh they ever, ever since about 1950 that we our children have been trained uh, just like pavlo's dog with conditional with psychological conditioning rather than teaching us to learn and it's time to learn to think again for ourselves to turn off the tv to turn off these other things and to begin actually opening up books and reading and learning and thinking through issues and I, I think any thinking person that would open up the Bible and look at the headlines would see the validity of the Word of God like no other generation before us will. And uh, I think we're, we're, we're kind of at the situation where we're getting ready to see two simultaneous revivals, a revival of the remnant and a revival of darkness like we've never seen. Are you ready to look beyond the world that has been pulled over people's eyes and discover the truth? Because, again, there's a lot of people in walking around in dystopic trance, singing Kumbaya, and they don't have a clue what's going on. So, really, it's about getting equipped for end-time spiritual warfare and also really pressing into the things of God. Because without the Holy Ghost in these last days, we're done, aren't we? We are. You know, and I told people we're going to see things like Carrie, you know, like the movie Carrie or the Firestarter. The only thing is they couldn't put a true believer in one of those movies because that would have been the end of the movie. Brought the believer on, I'd bind that up in the name of Jesus. That would have been the end of the movie. Yeah. Our hearts didn't have to be afraid because the one that we serve, he's already finished this race. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since, you know, he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, but Jesus has already kicked back in the millennial reign. This thing's a done deal for him. We just need to link up with the winning team. God, the moment that God created time and space, he filled it up with himself. And so Jesus is already ruling and reigning in the millennial reign. That's why the devil can't win this thing. He's playing checkers while Jesus is playing 10-dimensional chess. Nice analogy. I like that. 10-dimensional chess. Well, you know, again, it's incredible that people, again, I mean, in the mega churches, what are they talking about? Planes, trains, and automobiles. And yet, it's really important that people start getting into the Word of God. And really, you're right, that remnant, the elect, the end time saints, they really are the ones being spiritually equipped for what's about to take place. And I, I have a sense, Dr. Lake, that people are not gonna be ready for what's coming here on the whole. No, they're not, and I think our task is not only to get ourselves ready, but to begin to prepare others as they wake up. Because I think as this thing progresses, there's going to be a lot in the church saying, I thought this was really of God, and it's not, and we've got to be able to step up to the plate and, and do some intense training with these people as they begin to wake up to prepare them for the battle ahead. Well, amen. Well, give out your website for folks. I've got it linked there. But for somebody listening right now and wants to jump on your website, where can people find you and tell them where they can get your book, Shiner Directive? You have to get a copy of this. Again, the Shiner uh, Directive, Preparing the Way for the Son of Perdition. The website we have for Biblical Life College and Seminary is www.biblical-life.com. And where we deal with the issues like the Shinar Directive is at www.kingdomintelligencebriefing.com. And we have podcasts. We're developing more podcasts and articles in the future to kind of complement what we've done with the book. And you just mentioned you're writing another book. When can we expect that? I'm hoping by the end of the year. Any and, uh, glimpses into what you're writing? Uh, it, it's going to be a spiritual warfare manual for the remnant. Oh, wow. That sounds like a book that's right up my alley. <laughs> well, Dr. Michael Lake, it is a privilege and honor. Again, incredible book. I know that uh, Tom Horn wrote the forward in this. It's a must get. Folks, the information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Again, Dr. Lake, thank you so much for coming on the program. It's been a real pleasure. 
Folks, you can go to WeekendVigilante.com. All Dr. Michael Lake's information is linked there. Folks, I want to thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And I'm going to leave folks today with the trailer for a new movie that Tom Horn, Dr. Thomas Horn, is working on. It's called Inhuman. There is a trailer, and of course, it is also linked there at WeekendVigilante.com. If you go to today's bio, you can find that trailer. Please share on social media, and I will leave you with that. And, of course, we want to get behind Dr. Horn's work, incredible work. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Good night, and God bless. So what I want to talk to you about is the coming technological singularity. I want to talk to you about transhumanism. I want to talk to you about the coming human enhancement revolution. Today we have a very special guest, Tom Horn. We're going to talk about his book, Forbidden Gates. They are being advised by some of the top think tanks in the world. If we weren't secretly, privately ahead of the human enhancement revolution, we would fall irreparably behind. Well, what about the ethics of this? Will these people be considered humans? Will they be considered equal to us? What I want to know is why you'd let a wacko like Tom Horn come on your program to discuss transhumanism anyway. This guy's point of view is so obviously skewed by his Bible-thumping background. How could anybody take this guy seriously? Tom Horn is back in the news again at Wired Magazine, addressing the coming human enhancement revolution. DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's one of the large departments of the U.S. They have set aside millions of dollars for rewriting the DNA of our soldiers. I've often told people that uh, Tom Warren is one of the more interesting uh, theological interpreters of transhumanism in the country. Very smart guy, although I'm pretty sure he's crazy. What is transhumanism? It is the idea that we are going to use technology now to create a new version of ourselves. What the transhumanists have in mind is something very fundamental, the, the basic revision of human beings. We might be creating humans that would be barely recognizable as the humans we see on the street today, and they'd be thought of as superior. The technological singularity not only means a time when computers outsmart human cognition, it's a time when humans have an opportunity to employ the various technologies that will build these smart machines and add them to our own bodies. It is extremely dangerous for someone to interconnect his nervous system with a machine that is relatively boundless in its limits. There are technologies that are being employed now that most people think are 100 years away. They're not. They, they exist now. It is a loss of ethics in the current sense. It is looking at human beings as fodder. We don't treat human beings as experiments. You have the right to enhance your body, live longer, adjust your, your physical makeup and your performance, and those who do not want to enhance ought never to be coerced to enhance. What will we become? In a few generations, where will mankind be? Will we really be human anymore? My guest, Tom Horn, says something began in the year 2012 that will reach its apex in 2016. And he's going to talk about that. But tell me something I was not aware of, that the key founding fathers of our nation were not Christian, but were Masons. That's absolutely right, uh, Sid. In fact, as many as 44 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, uh, and they were the Freemasons, really, of the European order, meaning that they were committed to building a, an occult form of a democracy 
that was based on what's called the Atlantean scheme. This was coming out of Europe. What Francis Bacon believed, he was the head of a secret society in Europe, very popular and very powerful, and they had wealthy people behind them. And they believed that there had been an original Atlantis. And Atlantis had been great because Atlantis had taken its orders from the gods of ancient history. And when they turned their backs on the gods, Atlantis crumbled. And so Francis Bacon's idea was we will build a new occult democracy based on this Atlantean scheme in which we're basically going to take our marching orders from the spirits of these invisible deities. Okay, how's this tie in with Masons? Well, Freemasons in the United States early on were receiving funding. Uh, there was persons, there were, there were people from Europe coming over here. They actually saw in the new continent the opportunity to develop a new world order that uh, would be under essentially the influence of these ancient spirits that political realities in Europe was not going to allow them to establish over there. So this was basically fresh pickings. Oh, okay. But, but uh, what you're saying, though, is there's something evil about Masons. I've got relatives that are Masons. What, what are you saying? Uh, actually, I was a pastor for 25 years. I had Freemasons in my church on my board. So, but these were 32nd degree Freemasons who, uh, they were part of a fraternity, and they didn't get into any of that other hocus-pocus and occultism and whatever that was going on early on. However, uh, said, when you get past the 32nd degree, when you go to 33rd degree Freemasonry, it becomes something entirely different. Okay, what, if someone was a 33rd degree Mason, what would they know that the others don't? Well, for instance, I had a state senator tell me, asked me basically, he said, were you aware that at the inauguration of every United States president that in Washington, D.C., an occult ritual is held to raise the spirit of Osiris from the underworld so that it can take its rightful place in every United States president? That absolutely blew me away. Yeah, I thought th th This is within Masons? That's within Masons. As a matter of fact, I went there to verify it myself. I wanted to know if that was a fact, because if that's true, that's an astonishing idea that an occult ritual such as that would be held. Uh, only just a little way on 16th Street in Washington, D.C. Well, well, who, who the the who's the God of Masons? Well, the God of the Freemasons, according to their own experts, Albert Pike, Mackey, the others, they call him the great architect of the universe, but they identify him as the God Osiris, as he was known to the Egyptians, and Apollo, as he was known to the Greeks. In fact, what that's, when you look at the Great Seal, what you see in the images are Egyptian symbols, but in the mottos, it's prophecies about about Apollo. Look at the... Look at and again, these false deities are another name for the Antichrist. Now, on the U.S. $1 bill, we have the Great Seal. Right. Tell me what's on there. Well, what's on the Great Seal, especially the obverse side, the, the reverse side of the Great Seal, it's on every U.S. dollar. And uh, it's a troubling uh, thought, isn't it, to imagine that we carry on our person more often than we have the Word of God on our person. We carry on our person a prophecy about the coming of the Antichrist. Now, you have the symbol that is Egyptian. You have the mottos that are in Latin. The uh, Anuet Coeptus is a, is a Latin motto referring to the return of the god Jupiter who will in the future take his rightful re-enthronement over the cosmos, and his son, Apollo, uh, is in the Novus Ordo Seclorum. That is a prophecy from the Kume Sibyl, the most powerful of all of the uh, Apollinian priestesses, gave the prophecy from which Novus Ordo Seclorum is taken, in which she predicted that at the end of time, Apollo will return to reign upon the earth once again at the dawn of a new golden age. Because in more than one place in the New Testament, it actually identifies the spirit by name that will fill the Antichrist. Uh, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, he will be the son of perdition. This is the Greek word apalia, Apollo, Apollyon. Uh, in Revelation 17.8, the beast shall rise up out of the bottomless pit and enter into perdition, Apollia, Apollyon, Apollo. In fact, in Greek literature, the god Apollo was known as both Apollyon and Apollo. Who put that on the U.S. dollar? Who put it on our seal? 
Well, it happened over a period of time. There was a man by the name of Thompson who was commissioned by the Freemasons to design the Great Seal. No, no, but who, who, who authorized it? Who put it on there? Oh, well, I, who put it on the $1 bill? Yeah. This was Franklin Roosevelt. and Franklin uh, Roosevelt? Right. Does science have the technology today to take the DNA of these false deities that are being prayed for within Masons to come to Earth for a utopia who will be the Antichrist. Do they have, can they take the DNA from these false gods and put it in someone today and resurrect the Antichrist? Transhumanism. Explain this. Transhumanism itself is the idea that we're going to use that kind of science and other kinds of science to create a new form of mankind. You talk to the transhumanists, they're utopians, they believe we can live forever, we can have immortal life without the bother of having to ask Jesus to give it to us. We can upload our brains, we can live uh, forever inside artificial intelligence systems. There's a great deal that the transhumanist community believes, but when it comes to genetics, when it comes to kind of repeating what happened in the days of Noah, where these fallen angels corrupted bloodlines, uh, they believe that we can improve our species, open new modes of perception by blending ourselves with animals. We might even be able to see into the supernatural realm. They have set aside millions of dollars for rewriting the DNA of our soldiers. Sure. Super soldier technology, and furthermore, they are being advised by some of the top think tanks in the world that our competitors, our enemies, are privately developing this technology right now, and that if we don't get ahead of it, in fact, the Jasons, which is one of the top scientific advisory panels in the world, told them that by the end of 2012, if we weren't secretly, privately ahead of the human enhancement revolution, we would fall irreparably behind and be dominated on the future battlefield. What about the mark of the beast. How does this tie it? Well, the mark of the beast, I think this could play in in the form of like a living chip, a bio chip. We are doing experiments right now with uh, chips that can deliver medicines into your systems, but some of these could be designed uh, to actually carry payloads, to carry vectors as they're called, to work almost like a virus that could introduce uh, a new genetic code to rewrite your genetic makeup. Perhaps that's how the mark of the beast will alter humans so that they're no longer redeemable by literally going through their system and rewriting their genetic makeup.